Could the future of mobility lie in shared modes of transport rather than personal vehicles? If the success of Netflix is any indicator, the future of urban mobility might very well be centered on shared transportation. Also known as mobility as a service, or mass, relies on digital platforms and big data to integrate end-to-end trip planning, booking, electronic ticketing, and payment services across all modes of transportation, public and private. Mass models are forecasted to empower a new reality for urban mobility by ensuring equity and reducing traffic congestion, helping cities all over the world achieve their social and environmental goals. Today, we discuss mobility as a service. Welcome to another edition of our Future of Mobility series, bringing you the top voices from the sector. Decision makers, innovators and shapers pushing the envelope on future ideas for transportation and beyond. I'm your host, Dishraf, and today we are joined by Johan Jungwerf, Professor Dr. Andreas Herman, and Andre Bedachevsky. Johan brings a strong track record across multiple stakeholders of the mobility ecosystem from technology over premium and volume automobile manufacturers and is now working for the innovation leader in ADAS and autonomous driving. Professor Dr. Andreas Herman is the director for the Institute for Customer Insight at the University of St. Gallen and a visiting professor at the London School of Economics, Cities. Finally, we also have joining us today Andre Bedachevsky, who heads Deloitte's Future of Mobility Solutions Centre in Singapore and was previously leading the urban and autonomous mobility practice as well as the automotive industry at the World Economic Forum till end of 2017. Hi everyone, welcome to the podcast. I'd like to first start out with a brief introduction. Andres, you've been very active in applied research on urbanization, city planning, and new mobility. Could you please tell us more about your field of work? Well, um, we observe a tremendous run into the cities uh, in our world. Uh, cities such as Daly, Shanghai, Mexico City, Dakar, Cairo, and some other cities. Between 1,000 and 2,000 immigrants arrive per day looking for jobs, education, Health, apartments, and infrastructure in those cities and those survival cities uh, is not able to handle the amount of people. So we see congestion, air pollution, accidents, and a lot of scarce space is needed to be devoted um, to infrastructure. So there's a tremendous need to rethink uh, the way we consider mobilities. Cars are fine, but it is uh, probably a very inefficient mode of transport. So um, we know that on average, 1.5 passengers are in a car, and each car is uh, 55 minutes in use per 24 hours. So um, rethinking mobility means to question, question car ownership and find new ways to improve car efficiency. That's the main topic I'm working on, and I want to contribute to execute these ideas and to, to execute a kind of a mobility revolution. And Johan, you've worked across multiple stakeholders of the mobility ecosystem, from technology, over premium and volume automobile manufacturers, 
And now you're working for the innovation leader in ADAS and autonomous driving. Tell us a bit about your experience working in the space of mobility as a service. Yes, I've been very fortunate in the last 10 years to work in this field you know, with Mercedes-Benz uh, and uh, also with the Volkswagen Group and, and now at, at uh, Mobileye, an Intel company. And I have to say it is quite exciting to see what we will be able actually to do once we have uh, self-driving vehicles. And for me, that's really the beginning of mobility as a service to be able to offer you know, mobility also uh, to people which have accessibility needs, for example, uh, people with uh, wheelchairs, people which have disability impairment. And it's really, for me, something like which reminds me of you know, the invention of the automobile back then, you know, 130 years ago, when we went from horse-drawn carriages to automobiles. That's how it feels, actually. That's how this next transition will be from what we know today as a car, you drive yourself or you call maybe uh, with a ride-hailing app and then going to self-driving vehicles. And finally, Andre, for the past three years or so, you have been based in Asia. What are your thoughts regarding mobility as a service offerings in Asia and their feasibility in the region? Thanks, Dee. You know, the beauty of Asia for me lies in the uniqueness of its diversity. I think as unique as the countries are representing some of the oldest cultures, philosophies, and sciences in the world in Asia, as unique are the mobility systems and the problems they come from. So you can think about topics like managing very complex two-wheeler population in Southeast Asian countries or managing air pollution and congestion caused by cars in countries like Malaysia and China or driving for solutions for elderly populations in Japan, Korea, or building greenfield new city developments in China, Philippines, Indonesia, up to really addressing the topic of space constraints in Singapore. All of them seem to be very different, but they are unified by the pursuit to make mobility more inclusive, more environmentally friendly, more efficient, more safe and economically viable, which also comes as a promise of mobility as a service concept. Now, I think Asia is unique because here the consumers are very open, no matter if you look into Thailand, Malaysia or China, to really adopt new technologies very quickly and leapfrog new technologies and also to share their data if they see a benefit to their mobility patterns. And that makes actually applicability of integrated mobility very, very probable in these geographies, where we also see first pilots coming up in the countries. The COVID-19 situation has created a challenging climate for mass and traditional mobility services globally. I wanted to hear from each one of you on what are some of the impacts you're seeing in urban environments and how do you see mobility players mitigating the impacts of COVID-19 that we can learn from? Perhaps we can start with you, Johan? Yes, so what is interesting actually to see is that, of course, you know, the whole economy is impacted, right? And, you know, public transportation is down and people need to stay at home. So there is, of course, at the moment, very little need for transportation in general. That said, 
I've seen a lot of requests and around the world actually if mobility as a service and or transportation as a service even for goods would be available today based on self-driving vehicles you know the need is gigantic because at the end of the day with you know the let's say physical distancing with uh, staying two meters apart from other people it's technically not possible if you have a human driver right so taking the human driver out and being able to offer an individual or a family a couple basically to get from point A to point B basically no one nearby no one in the same cabin uh, that would be huge and the same you know for transportation of goods so unfortunately we are not completely there yet at the moment we are you know still in in development phase and in proof of concept phase but i actually foresee that in the future based on this experience there will be even more pressure to get this to market and of course safely and rightfully but it's actually quite interesting how this actually will push this technological shift and revolution and what about you andreas Well, um, the immediate reaction here in in Central Europe is that people um, hesitate to use public transportation modes uh, or they stay at home and use online devices, as JJ pointed out. And by um, at the end of this year, we will be back at normal, meaning people will fall back to their established uh, mobility habits. So yes, COVID-19 might slow down uh, the idea of mass a little bit, but uh, the transportation problems around the world will not disappear. So mass will be back on the agenda. And any crisis is also a, a chance to do things differently in the future. And as JJ explained, autonomous uh, driving would be very helpful these days. We could isolate people in specific uh, vehicles. We could offer different forms of transportation. So I think uh, mass will be on the agenda once the hectic and the daily hectic of COVID-19 is over. So I see a bright future for, for this idea and for this uh, concept and technology. And bringing back home to Asia, Andre, do you have anything else to add? So what happened is that we put economy to sleep collectively across all countries. But most of the governments didn't think about how to wake it up again. And the question is, who will be the first one to rebound? Now, making predictions today is very difficult. But what we did at Deloitte is we partnered with Salesforce on scenario analysis. And one of the scenarios we defined is called Sunrise in the East. It assumes that Asia will recover from the COVID crisis first and also from the ongoing second crisis, which is the economic crisis, and come up innovative solutions, invest into new topics, including mobility, which then can be adopted by the Western countries in a collaborative approach. So my hope is that some of the topics we've been working in Asia before the crisis, like establishment of alternative drivetrains, like to mobility pricing, like new materials and technologies for a safer environment, will actually be adopted quicker and then become standard across the globe.
Andreas, building on top of what was already mentioned, do you think the COVID-19 situation will have a long-lasting impact on consumers' receptivity towards mass business models, or is it more of a short-term impact? Well, I think we experience uh, COVID-19 as a shock. But in the medium term, I think we will definitely recover. But we should make some conclusions and we should learn from this crisis. And I uh, read a very exciting uh, study from Harvard Medical School saying the exposure to PM 2.0, that's fine dust, is one of the major driver of corona deaths. So uh, maybe uh, one learning can be that we consider congestion, air pollution in cities. And when we do this to rethink mobility and go on the on a track uh, towards uh, autonomous driving, more efficient driving, mobility as a service, and all those topics. That's my hope uh, related to COVID-19. For a long time, the focus has been on the technology and technical aspects of autonomous driving. Johan, I wanted to hear from you. What has changed and why is Mars now the new focus? Yeah, I think at the end of the day, like with uh, most, you know, kind of S-curves and, and big innovation cycles, eventually, once the, let's say, the technology is solved, it's really about the user experience. It's about what can we do for the individual? What can we do for social aspects? And for me, it's a massive opportunity to actually make cities uh, clean and quiet on the one hand with electric vehicles. And I actually expect that most self-driving vehicles will also be based on electric powertrain, which is really important you know, to make uh, cities clean and also quiet. I have myself, you know, small children, and I just love it, you know, being basically on the side of the, the road with a stroller and not having, you know, cars with loud engine driving by and waking up the, the little ones. And of course, having clean air and, you know, safety is a big aspect. I mean, when I look at, you know, 92% or so of, of all the accidents, you know, being caused by us humans as drivers falling asleep, drinking and driving, texting and driving, and so on and so on. I mean, looking at all the statistics, we know that at least about 81, 82% of these accidents could be immediately solved with uh, self-driving vehicles. Another aspect, uh, which is very important. And then the accessibility, as mentioned before, that's very close to my heart. That's why you know, I personally like to call it inclusive mobility. This is what it's all about. And I actually have a family member, one of my niece, which has some mental impairment. And my sister basically has to drive her to all places because she will just never be able to have a driver's license. And you know, they can't wait for self-driving vehicles, for mobility as a service based on self-driving vehicles to become available, to have the freedom to move. And that's basically, you know, one of those core things, freedom of mobility, freedom of movement, which I think it's a basic human right. Moving over to you, Andreas, I understand that you're writing a book about mobility as a service. Do you think that mass models are a step forward towards more sustainable development in urban cities? Absolutely. I'm certain that we need to Rethink transportation. The do nothing scenario is that we would double the amount of miles driven from 2015 to 2030. If we allow things to happen, many cities will die in traffic. So Mars is, in my view, the most promising approach to reduce congestion, emissions, accidents, if we think in terms of autonomous driving and land use. And this is the reason why JJ and myself are working on this book. 
we're starting to see a growing trend of cooperation. For example, OEMs are cooperating with ecosystem players to implement smarter mobility solutions. How important is collaboration between various sectors and industries for implementing mass initiatives? Johan, maybe you can weigh in on this? Yes, I think it's very, very important. And I think it's important, you know, not like maybe with other technologies and, and other innovations, you know, we have seen where it was sufficient, you know, to have like technology players, uh, you know, collaborating, defining standards and bring this uh, innovation or products based on, on these standards to market. But actually, it requires partnerships and relationships and collaboration across the board between technology companies, between governments, in municipalities, metropolitan areas, travel agencies uh, or uh, transit agencies for public transportation. And I actually have to say that that's fascinating and it brings the community together actually to solve the, the challenges ahead. And Andre, you wrote an article about this and I wanted to hear from you particularly through the Asian lands, how is this panning out? Well, I think, first of all, complex topics in mobility, like mobility as a service concepts or further integration into a mobility operating system in cities cannot be solved by one player alone. It is an equation of infrastructure companies, automotive companies, governments, local and national level, energy companies, insurance companies, telecommunication companies, technology companies, and so on, all working together across startups, established companies, scale-ups. And the reason for this is just the sheer complexity. If we look into the Asian example, a key prerequisite for mobility as a service is data sharing and having a pool of data where all the actors in the system have a regulated access. I think in my personal perspective, the model should be that there is an independent third party which can monitor the data usage without a vested interest. So that third party cannot be an operator. It has to be someone who really takes care of the data as an independent broker, a mobility broker, who can then allocate the right view to the right participant in the ecosystem. It might be different approaches there as well. But in the end, I think Asia is uniquely positioned because like I said in the beginning, the customers are much more open to share their data. And also we have countries, again, very diverse environment, but we have countries where data regulation has been quite open. And with that, we have seen new models of data sharing, connected applications, digital services for mobility, super apps evolving in a much faster pace and leapfrogging everything which the West could do in a response. So we've seen here because of the usage of data and willingness to share data, a much higher innovation pace, which I also think we will see in integrated mobility systems and mobility as a service solution. The second point is the integration of payments, which is, of course, also based on data, but then it also requires a standard, right? And again, with the leadership of China, fastly followed by Southeast Asian countries, we've seen integrations of digital payments here evolving much faster, which I think will be important to bring this ecosystem together and not only offer a solution, but also bring different vendors and offer applications on this platform to integrate the different solutions in the mobility as a service ecosystem. With the mass market set to grow exponentially over the next five years, Johan, 
what do you think are some of the most important considerations governments and transportation agencies should take note of when it comes to implementing mass initiatives of the future? Do you think the approaches differ between transitioning from heritage mobility systems and planning for greenfield approaches? So I think, first of all, it's important to look at what you know, mobility as a service actually means in terms of execution, you know, and I've, I've built a model with like five layers for this, and I want to go through that quickly. So layer one is basically the technology, you know, kind of building the driver. So the self-driving uh, system stack with sensors, hardware, compute, software, AI, and, and, and services. So there's, of course, a set of, of you know companies working in this field. Then there's the mass layer two, which is the self-driving vehicle itself and, you know, integrating the self-driving system into these products. And there will be different kinds of products from self-driving, like taxis, like passenger cars, type vehicles, uh, all the way to SUVs, to vans, to shuttles and buses and trucks eventually and so on. And then uh, layer three is also important. That's basically the whole fleet operations, right? Think about rental car companies. Think about the service hubs in each of the municipalities, in each of the cities. And, and so looking at the, the cleaning, the charging, the parking, the maintenance and repair and, and all of that. So, you know, looking at it from municipality side, that needs to be solved locally. There are public transportation uh, operators or agencies which do some of that work for like buses today. And then mass layer four is basically, you know, the mobility platform and services and the apps and facing the customers and multimodal platforms and payment and ticketing and all of that. And mass layer five is basically around the content and the uh, advertisement, but also, you know, looking at what people do in these modes of transportation from being productive to, you know, gaming to shopping and all of that. So I think regulatory aspect is important, but also looking at, okay, you know, which licenses are required and, and what is actually given to which types of entities and how is this collaboration working? And Andreas, expanding on the question I just asked, with cities transitioning towards smarter forms of mobility, what considerations do you think cities should keep in mind with regards to customer centricity? Oh, even the best technology can fail if people do not accept or do not learn how to use it. And then the mass concepts needs to be designed in a way that it is intuitive, that it's easy to use. So meaning easy to pay, easy access, permanent availability, different types of vehicle for different purposes. But at the end of the day, we need to be aware that some traveling habits need to be changed. The car industry, the mass manufacturers did a great job within the last decade to explain that car ownership is necessary for many purposes, not just for traveling. It's also for social respect, for uh, interacting with other people, for demonstrating uh, social class and things like that. So at the end of the day, I think it's it's a combination of sticks and carrots which need to be put in place to master this transformation. And I see many good examples, especially from Scandinavian cities, from Asian cities, and exactly going that way, offering incentives for using other mobility concepts than cars, but also um, providing uh, incentives and establishing sticks, such as reducing the amount of parking space as um Copenhagen and Stockholm do, or having road charges, London is doing it. So um, we see a combination of different measures 
a different politics to make sure that people find their way into a new world of mobility. With rapid urbanization being a pertinent problem in many developing countries, I wanted to hear from our guests today. Do you think Mars is a realistic solution for cities and regions that are undergoing rapid development, such as in Southeast Asia? Andres, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, let me be bold. The way we organize transportation these days around the world cannot be more inefficient. So in, in order to bring cities forward, especially these growing cities, these growing mega cities in Asia, uh, we need to rethink transportation from the scratch. And mobility as a service is definitely one important piece of the puzzle. Andre, you've lived in Asia, America, and Europe for extended periods of time. Based on consumer patterns and governmental support, where do you see the future of Mars being realized? And which regions are closest to achieving that, in your opinion? Well, I think it's it's very difficult to predict. And I think we will see different elements in different geographies. Given the current situation, I can see that it also depends where the investments will be triggered first and where the governments and the private sector players are bold enough to go into a collaborative approach but also to invest in the future. So the regions where collaboration is more open, where the governance and the policy is more agile, and where the consumers are more receptive to new technologies and saying, let, let me try something out. So not established too much in their traditional patterns saying, I have to have a car because this is the place where I store my golf clubs or uh, which I need to go for grocery shopping. These are the places which will evolve faster. And uh, of course, also the places where the capital is, is at scale and where governments in current situation make very bold decisions to invest into the future, given that the resources are limited today. I want to wrap things up by asking a question to each one of you. Johan, maybe we'll start off with you. From a personal standpoint, what is most exciting about this space and what keeps you up at night? Basically, making transportation, making mobility safe, making it clean, making it affordable, accessible, and actually also convenient. This is what it's all about. And I actually do believe we will see this in the next two to five years. And it will be an exponential curve because it's powered by exponential technologies. And it's quite exciting, actually. I can't wait for this to happen. The team here, we all are, are part of this. And Andreas, when can we look forward to the date of publication of your second book? Do you have any teasers or insights from the book to share with us? <laughs> well, it, it, it will be launched uh, next year. And uh, JJ and, and I hope that we provide a comprehensive concept for Mars. And hopefully we can provide a convincing story, convincing case for this transportation um, revolution. We will also um, showcase opinions and positions of leading stakeholders uh, in the book to get a very broad range of, of insights and uh, um, for this reason i hope I, I i will be able to carry out an interview with andrew uh, at some point in, uh, in time to, to learn more about his insights on mars in asia the, the idea is um, mars is not only about uh, improving life in cities we have to be reminded that the transportation market is the third largest single market worldwide and this market is in transformation and we want to be part of it we want to shape it uh, we want to show 
how to make best out of this transformation. That's why I'm so excited about this part. And finally, Andre, with the work at the Deloitte Future Mobility Solutions Center, what are you most excited about for the future of mobility? I'm most excited about my work. So we defined the mission for our center as igniting collaborative shifts in mobility, which means we are really co-creating the future with our partners and clients. We're not in this alone. And we are at the edge of designing uh, the most advanced digital solutions for, for mobility. And it's just exciting to work with smart people, with very genius and highly motivated people, both internally and uh, people who partner with us on this. Personally, I'm excited about the culture change. I believe that people will be much more conscious about how they live and part of it is also how they move. Also taking in consideration that the choices they make are not affecting only their personal lives, but us as a collective society, as a collective community. And I hope that we also, with the current situation, don't forget that there are crises which we face and have been facing before the pandemic, like the environmental crisis, that we don't uh, stop acting on this, but in intensify acting on, on those issues and find to a collective solution for humanity. Because don't be fooled. It's not an issue which the planet is facing. It's an issue which humanity is facing. And the planet is giving us a very clear sign that it can survive also without us. So we need to come together as humans and mobility will be an important part of it to say, how can we exist and thrive as a collective humankind? Well, that was a fascinating discussion. Thank you once again, Andreas, Johan, and Andre for coming on to today's podcast. And that's it for today's episode of our Future of Mobility series. If you want to comment on this podcast or the topics covered, you can send us an email at cpodcast at Deloitte.com. That's spelled S-E-A podcast at Deloitte.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get the latest episodes. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. I am Dishraf, and until next time. Ha, 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 ha